Hey folks, attorney Andrew Branke here for Law of Self-Defense. Hope everyone's looking forward to a very happy and safe Thanksgiving week. Uh, we will have an abridged week of content, of course, here at Law of Self-Defense. Probably do shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Probably not. And back on a normal schedule the following week. Today's show is about a shooting event that occurred uh, down in Florida. Uh in which there was a, uh, a death and uh, a maiming. A murder charge has been brought. Uh, the shooter was a black male. The victims were two white men who appear to have been acting like jerks, but perhaps not to a sufficient degree to warrant being shot, one of them dead. Of course, it's being presented in the, the media that covered this as a black shooter being denied stand your ground. It's really nothing of the sort, despite the headline on today's content for our show. Um, but it is a good example of a lawyer, independent of law self-defense, uh, doing a pretty sound legal analysis of this event. So that's the real reason I wanted to share it with all of you. Uh, it's not common to see lawyers do this. So I wanted to give the lawyer full credit for doing a good job. I, I probably don't have much substantive to add really to his analysis, but perhaps a little additional context and so forth. With that out of the way, let's go ahead and launch the formal start of today's show. And I forgot to put my earbuds in. Not that there's much audio in uh, today's show, but nevertheless. Before we jump into things, of course, I'm obliged to mention the sponsor of today's content, which is none other than Law of Self-Defense Ourselves, our best-selling book, Law of Self-Defense Principles, your handbook to being hard to convict if you're ever compelled to use force in defense of yourself, your family, your property. Check it out on Amazon, but do not buy it on Amazon. They'll charge you for the book and shipping and handling. We only ask that you cover the cost of shipping the book to you. The cost of the book from us itself is free. And you can take advantage of that at lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. All right, let's jump into what we've got here. So this came across my desk in the form of a tweet on X covering this event. I'll, I'll share the video that's included here in uh, just a moment in, in greater size. So it's easier to watch. Uh, and this was brought to my attention by, by this gentleman, Jamie Pretel Esquire. And uh, he provides a little, little legal analysis of that event. As I said at the start, it's pretty, uh, pretty sound. And then he, um, he tagged me on it uh, to bring it to my attention. Now, he did all this back in July, and I, I bookmarked it to follow up, and I, I just forgot. So no offense to Jamie. Uh, by the way, this is uh, Jamie's, um, whatever they call it on Twitter, bio on Twitter, Jamie Petrell Esquire. Uh, looks like he's out of Virginia and uh, not too many followers. So give him a follow. In fact, I'll give him a follow right now in real time. There we go. Now you got another follower, Jamie. Um, so if his content is the quality of this legal analysis, um, certainly worth a follow in my opinion. So let's go back and take a look at the video as it appears, uh, as it appears 
in the uh, original Twitter feed of this event. And uh, first, I'm going to show it like this. It's kind of a cell phone type footage, although I believe it's off a ring camera, actually, but it was formatted like this. Uh, and there, whoever produced this in its Twitter form added some of their own text and copy to the screen. And then I have a zoomed in version that really just focuses in on the upper half of all this. So let's do this. And let's see if I can make it a little bigger here. It looks like that's about the best I can do. Uh, the audio here, there is some audio. It's awful. You can't really hear what anyone's saying. You just kind of hear a rumbling. And I, the only reason I didn't mute the audio entirely is because you can hear a gunshot. And the timing of the gunshot, of course, would be relevant to a self-defense justification. So my apologies uh, for but here's the video as it was presented on Twitter. There's the gunshot. Second gunshot. So that suggests to me that it was the, uh, given the way the vehicle crashed, perhaps it was the driver who was fatally shot with that second gunshot there. Now I do have a zoomed in version of this. Let me share that with everyone now. See if I can make that one a bit bigger. Same event, but uh, closer. And this is the one we'll, we'll use to go through details of the shooting in a legal analytical context. So we have these two white guys. Looks like they're acting like jerks. Uh, they appear to see the shooter, a black male, approaching across the parking lot here. It's not clear to me when words are exchanged or why words are exchanged. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but certainly words are exchanged. These two guys drive off. And then they come back, which is troubling. It's never a good sign when people come back to an argument. There's the first gunshot. White guy, passenger, runs it back into the vehicle. Shooter circles around. And, and that's it. The crash. Now, let's take a look at the analysis. Uh, and, of course, the uh, the shooter had said, apparently, uh, in the previous version of the video where they had the text, said the shooter said he was afraid they were going to get a gun in their car, and so he shot them preemptively. Let's take a look now at the uh, the analysis by Jamie Pretel Esquire. He writes, okay, I had more time to think on the elements here. Um, now, he did tag me, so he's apparently familiar with me, so maybe he's familiar with our five elements of self-defense law. It sounds like it when he does his legal analysis, so that's that's a good thing. The knowledge is getting out there into the legal community where it belongs. Uh, okay, so I had more time to think on the elements, and I think I know why they charged him. 
why the police charged the shooter with murder. Uh, let's get some things out first. Taunting and fighting words are not an imminent threat. There has to be some type of action that seems to be that you are about to be attacked. So what he's speaking to here is the need for an overt physical act. So mere words alone, literally alone, not accompanied by physical action, are never enough to qualify as eminence, the element of eminence. And of course, you're only lawfully allowed to do in self-defense, to use force in self-defense against a threat that is an imminent threat, meaning it's in progress or it's immediately about to happen. But words alone can never constitute that. Uh, eminence can be evaluated using the AOJ triad, ability, opportunity, jeopardy. Is there the ability to cause harm? And there's always the ability to cause some harm. So it tends to be a question of only non-deadly harm, or is there ability to cause deadly harm? Opportunity. Does the person with that ability have the opportunity to bring it to bear? Maybe they have a baseball bat, but they're 100 yards away. They don't have the opportunity yet to bring it to bear. Jeopardy. Are they conducting themselves in such a way that a reasonable person would infer they intend to bring that ability and opportunity to bear on an innocent person? When you have AOJ, when those are all satisfied, you have imminence. You have an imminent threat against which defensive force could be used, assuming that the other elements of self-defense are also satisfied. If you're missing any of those, well, then you don't have an imminent physical threat. And mere words alone can never constitute a physical threat because words cannot hurt you. What words can do is greatly diminish how much physical conduct, how much of an overt physical act you need to see that's consistent with an intent to carry out that threat. So I'm going to kill you, said by a person who's standing still 20 feet away, no apparent projectile weapons in hand, um, no apparent weapons in hand. The words alone, absent some overt physical act consistent with the threat, the intent to bring the threat to bear, words alone can never qualify as an imminent physical threat against which you could use deadly force and self-defense. It can reduce how much of an overt physical threat you need to see. So someone says, I'm going to shoot you. And then they reach for their waistband where a gun would be available to them. Um, the reaching for the waistband absent the verbal threat would, for all we know, they're reaching for their phone, right? It wouldn't mean anything. But the reaching for the waistband uh, in the uh, accompanied by the verbal threat to shoot you, the combination of those things, uh, an explicit overt verbalized threat and an overt physical act, however slight, consistent with that threat would be enough to meet the conditions of, of imminence. <clears throat> so whatever these two white guys are saying, uh, even if it was threatening, and of course we can't actually hear any threats in this audio, but even if it was threatening, unless it's accompanied by an apparent intent to bring those threats to bear, that's not enough to justify the use of deadly defensive force, uh, any force really by the, um, by the person against whom the words are directed. Now, there is a scene in the video uh, where if they're... So let's see. We have this. Come on. The spotting of the shooter coming across the parking lot. We have this verbal described as taunting, presumably insults. For no good reason, of course. This is all nonsense. These uh, these two guys are, you know, just trash, really. <clears throat> for engaging in this kind of behavior. Uh, now they leave. 
right? They're here, they leave, and then they come back. Now, admittedly, coming back is a bad sign. Uh, when, when you're in an argument with someone and they leave and then they return, they probably didn't return to apologize. They're probably returned maybe with friends, maybe with weapons. You can't assume those things to be true, but in evaluating the perspective threat you're facing, this should be in your mind, right? They came back to a fight. Not a good thing. Not enough by itself to justify your use of defensive force, but it should uh, bump up your state of awareness that you may be facing a substantial threat. And maintain observation so you can gather the evidence you would need to evaluate whether or not you're facing an imminent threat against which defensive force would be lawful. So they come back, they're out of the car. We see one of them, the passengers on the, the far side of the car there. We do lose sight of him for a moment. We don't know what he's doing now. Is he making, you know, threatening physical motions that accompany his verbal threats? We don't have any evidence of that. We, we can't speculate to it. That would make a difference, obviously. Uh, but even if that were true, uh, and this is right where we hear the gunshot. So could that first gunshot have been legally justified? Well, it depends on if there's facts that would support that the shooter here was being presented with evidence from which he could make a reasonable inference of an eminent deadly force threat. If so, it's only from the passenger. The driver here is not doing anything. Um, but those would be facts that the shooter would need to be able to articulate to those evaluating his conduct in the aftermath, right? Ideally articulate to his lawyer. So his lawyer could articulate it to police, prosecutors, judge, jury, and so forth. But whatever that passenger might've been doing, uh, he's not doing anything here. Whoops. Let me just play it because the scrolling's not working real well. Let's see. Maybe the N-word there, it's hard to tell. All right, so there's the gunshot. And the passenger's still out of sight. So could that have been justified? Well, maybe. Maybe we, we would need more information, right? If the passenger was presenting as an imminent deadly force threat, then the, the deadly... Now, it's it would be hard to see. He's not a very big dude. He's shirtless. There does, there's been no weapons presented by these two white guys the entire time. Uh, you could argue a disparity of force argument escalated the threat to a deadly force level, except that the driver's never engaged at this point. He's, he's behind his car door. So the passenger comes running back after the gunshot. Maybe he's been shot, right? He looks like he's hobbling a little bit there. So say that first shot was justified. Is this justified? The shooter is now pursuing the passenger to the car, gun out, pointed at him. Then he circles around the back of the car to flank the driver. What threat is being presented here to the shooter? What eminent deadly force threat is being presented here? And is he a defender at this point when he's aggressively advancing on these two men? Comes right up to the car window and they pixelate it out, but this is when he fires around you know, into the driver. And uh, does that look like a defensive posture on the part of the shooter? And where is the eminent deadly force threat? Now, <clears throat> he would tell police that he was in fear that they had a gun in the car and that uh, so he shot them first. Uh, here's the problem, though. Uh, he doesn't actually say he saw a gun. There's no evidence that they said they had a gun. 
when he's running up here, he can't have seen a gun through these tinted windows, right? Uh, so if he merely had a speculative fear, for all I know, they could have had a gun in the car. Well, that's not sufficient. Speculation is not a legal defense. If you're basing your use, your decision to use deadly defensive force on the subjective belief that that other person had a gun and was about to use it on you, you need evidence from which you're making either a perception or an inference that they had a gun. You can't just speculate that they could have had a gun. Speculation is worth nothing in court. So... It's difficult to see how he would have, based on the evidence we have here, a reasoned, an evidence-based belief that they had a gun. So he may have had a, a subjective, speculative belief that they had a gun, that he was defending himself against. But that belief, that subjective belief of reasonableness also has to be objectively reasonable, which means it has to be based on actual facts. A speculative fear is not enough. So let's hop back to... Uh, to Jamie's analysis here. Uh, first, he says uh, uh, verbal taunting and fighting words are not an imminent threat. We already covered that. Two, whoops, here we go. Couple lines down. Two, Florida is a stand your ground state, but that doesn't mean you can chase or move towards someone aggressively. Right. All stand your ground means is if you would have had an otherwise, the element of avoidance, an otherwise existing legal duty to retreat. Stand your ground relieves you of that legal duty to retreat. It's got nothing to do with you advancing on your aggressor, at least under Florida law. Now, California, believe it or not, is a stand your ground state as well. Uh, and California's jury instruction that addresses stand your ground tells the jury that the defender not only doesn't have a legal duty to retreat, but can advance on his opponent if necessary for his safety. So that could be a scenario where if these two white guys had shouted at the shooter, hey, we're going to get our own guns. Uh, maybe he felt he had to advance on them for purposes of safety, but he better be able to articulate that. There better be evidence of that. Um, and I certainly don't see evidence of that in this video. Um, he writes, uh, that doesn't mean you can chase or move towards someone aggressively. That creates the imminent threat. Yeah, and if you can, you know, you can become, you can start as the innocent defender, the element of innocence, it's the other guy who's the first to threaten or initiate physical force and then transition into being the aggressor in the course of the fight. And that could be what happened here. Even if we believe the first shot was justified and we need more evidence to believe that on, on any reason basis, uh, that second shot aggressively flanking around the vehicle to shoot the driver through that tinted window, presumably in the head, uh, is that still a defensive posture there? Well, after you fire the first shot and they're running away, has that first fight ended? You've neutralized that threat. Have you now become the initial physical aggressor, deadly force physical aggressor in a second fight in which you're not the innocent party? You're now the aggressor in that second fight. Um, Jamie continues, three, the smoke shop is not home to either one of those, so they both could go in there. It's there in a a place they have a lawful right to be. That's one of the conditions of stand your ground law in Florida. Um, <clears throat> it will be interesting what witnesses say about what happened inside. Yep. So it, again, a self-defense case is small changes in facts lead to huge changes in legal outcome. So if we acquire more evidence, it could very much change the legal analysis. 
What we do know is that we see one guy fleeing and being pursued by a man with a gun. That does not look on its face like self-defense. Could it be? I mean, if the shooter here can articulate a reasoned belief that the person fleeing was fleeing to secure a weapon and return to the fight, maybe. But he'd better have evidence to support that. Uh, and the car starts backing up with the windows rolled up. This reminds me of the Apperson shooting of George Zimmerman. So let, let me refresh people's recollection on that. And there's an actually an interesting historical tidbit here. So, of course, George Zimmerman had shot Trayvon Martin uh, and was tried for second-degree murder, malice murder, and a variety, a whole, bun- whole basket of other criminal charges at Florida trial. And Zimmerman was acquitted of all charges at trial. But, of course... Uh, His name became reviled in the public mind. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, the local media, the the national media, uh, covering uh, the Zimmerman trial fabricated a variety of content, photographs, altered photographs, um, altered 911 recordings uh, that made Zimmerman look guilty. Uh, but, But for the alterations, you would never come to that conclusion. So they they altered photographs. They altered 911 recordings. And afterwards, Zimmerman sued the media uh, for having done that. And uh, in that civil suit, the judge dismissed the suit and said Zimmerman's a public figure uh, and there's no reasonable prospect he could win at trial. I'll come back to that in a moment. But after that, uh, a couple of years after the trial was over, the civil suit had been dismissed. Zimmerman was a passenger in a vehicle being driven to a doctor's appointment. And Matthew, I believe his first name, Matthew, Apperson, had seen Zimmerman get into the car, start driving down the road. And Apperson pursued in his own vehicle, retrieved a revolver, and fired a shot at Zimmerman through the passenger side window of Zimmerman's car. That bullet would embed in the door frame. And Zimmerman was, I think he might have had some glass splinters, but he was not seriously hurt. And Matthew Apperson was charged with attempted murder under Florida law and convicted of attempted murder. So to my knowledge, he's still in prison someplace. But Apperson tried to argue that he shot at Zimmerman because this well-known dangerous character, George Zimmerman, pointed a gun at him first. And I believe Zimmerman had a gun in the car. The trouble was the car that Zimmerman was riding in, its windows were also very heavily tinted. And it simply was not credible that Apperson perceived Zimmerman with a gun in his own vehicle could not have seen through those tinted windows because the windows were up. We know they were up because Apperson's gunshot shattered the window. So uh, that's analogous to the window tinting here. So the interesting historical uh, tidbit, uh, the judge in Zimmerman's first criminal trial for the shooting of Trayvon Martin was Judge Deborah Nelson. But judges in Florida rotate through criminal courts and civil courts on a regular basis. So when Zimmerman sued the media for the alterations they made to photos and 911 recordings, uh, guess who the trial judge was in that civil suit? It was Judge Deborah Nelson, the same judge from his criminal trial. And when Matthew Apperson was charged with attempted murder for this shooting at George Zimmerman, guess who the trial judge was in the prosecution, the trial of Matthew Apperson? It was Judge Deborah Nelson. She had George Zimmerman in her courtroom for a third time, this time as a witness, as the victim of this attempted murder charge. I can only imagine 
what Deborah Nelson was thinking about the fates there. Uh, so Jamie writes, uh, this reminds me of the Apperson shooting of Zimmerman. Yeah, so he didn't actually hit Zimmerman, but he shot at Zimmerman. Uh, Apperson knew Zimmerman had guns, but when he shot Zimmerman's tinted windows were up, he was convicted, Apperson, because there was no way he could have seen a gun being pointed at him. In a similar fashion, there's no way the shooter in this case could have seen a gun in this case. He shot at people who were retreating and jumped into a car with the windows up that they had a gun in the car, and they did. They had a gun tucked in the seats, which would indicate they never presented it, right? Because they, it looked to me like that, you know, the driver was killed instantly, crashed instantly. Um, <clears throat> that they had a gun in the car, meaning the victims here, didn't mean the shooter knew they had a gun in the car. Therefore, his claim he was afraid they would get a gun is not reasonable under the law because it's not based on evidence. Um, if not, he could chase and shoot anyone. He did not see them grab for a gun as the windows were rolled up and tinted and they were backing up. So unless there is a witness that says that one of the guys said something like, I'm going to shoot you before the shooter drew his own gun, becoming the aggressor, there is reasonable cause for the arrest. Pending something being shown that happened in the smoke shop, and I guarantee they have cameras just on this video, it looks like a conviction. Well, it certainly doesn't look like self-defense. Again, if we get more information, it could change the legal analysis. Uh, and then we get the usual type of Twitter commentary, right? Someone writes, they could have threatened him inside. They could have said they would kill or shoot him. He didn't have to wait to see if they were going to get the gun first, but he had to have a reasoned belief of all this. And there's no evidence of, to support these claims. So if those if those kinds of threats were made and you know someone says, I'm going back to my white SUV to get a gun to shoot you, sure. That would be uh, threats of words and then an overt physical act consistent with that. But, but we need to see that in the evidence. Jamie writes, and that's why the smoke shop video and testimonies will play a crucial role. They were sink or float him. Uh, he stood his ground, somebody writes. No, no, when you're charging after someone, you're not standing your ground anymore. Uh, let's see. And I think that's that's mostly it. So, <clears throat> so again, uh, this is not a super complicated uh, case, but it's so unusual to see a lawyer do a decent analysis of the use of force cases. And in my opinion, Jamie did that here that I, I wanted to uh, give kudos. It would be nice if more lawyers made the effort to learn this law of self-defense in a sufficiently robust way that they could just throw together a sound legal analysis like Jamie did here on Twitter. All right, folks, I think that's all I have for everyone today. So remind all of you, if you carry a gun, so you're hard to kill. If you carry a knife, so you're hard to kill. If you carry pepper spray, so you're hard to kill. If you practice jujitsu, so you're hard to kill. So your family is hard to kill. That's why I do all those things. So me and my family are hard to kill. Then you also owe it to yourself and your family to know the law. So you're also hard to convict. And you can do that, of course, at lawofselfdefense.com. Until next time, I remain attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe. 